Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people in the labor movement to the Madison area and the surrounding communities. I'm Sandy, a retiree from both American Federation of Teachers and AFSCME. Your support in any amount helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WART possible. Hi, I'm Mike Bernhard, a member of International Union 330 of the IWW Madison branch. This week, we delve deeper into the smart strike, learn the way Red Cross talks are stalled, check in on negotiations at CUNA Mutual, get an update on the case strike, and much, much more. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio. It's been almost two weeks of walking the picket line for the striking tractee workers. Union members are fighting to keep a say over how much extra time they give their employer. Roughly 100 workers at the Sun Prairie facility make storage units and training facilities for firefighters. Labor Radio's Ellen Lalazern brings you this update from the International Association <coughs> excuse me, from the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail and Transportation Workers or SMART Local 565. SMART's business manager Jesse Buell. After rejecting Tracty Building Systems last offer, almost all members of the union voted to strike and walked out on May 9th. Management is demanding the repeal of a long-standing contract provision that allows workers to negotiate over how overtime work is implemented. Through the pandemic, in the past few years, these guys have been working 24-7. They've been averaging around 60 hours of work. And these people are saying, hey, you know, we need some time to rest, rejuvenate, and be with our families. So that was something important to these guys going into negotiations right away was, hey, we need to stand the ground when it comes to this mandatory overtime. Are there other issues beyond overtime? You know, there's a few small issues, but to be honest, it's really about the overtime. So I think we can work something out with the company on structuring over time so that they can supply their customer demand and so that the workers can be happy also. I think we could get back to having a contract and get back to working. What is the reasoning the management gives for being so insistent on this? It's It's been repetitively, repetitively said to me that it's to supply customer demand, and that's all I've been told. Do you really believe that? I believe that they have orders, but I think in these negotiations, I'm not for sure that the company wanted a contract. I think they were pushing the union out and trying to break the union. And what I can say to that is that this bargaining unit and these members over at Tracti have held the line and have been really good. I'm very proud of them, actually, for standing up for what they're standing up for. The union was joined by other unions and community supporters last weekend for a solidarity picnic. How did that all go? It went very well, and I appreciate you bringing that up. I'd, I'd really like to thank Kevin Gonlock and Scuffle, South Central Federation of Labor. I'd really like to thank the building trades. The building trades really stepped up. They um, grilled brats for all the members and really stood there in solidarity with all of our members. I'd also like to uh, Melissa Eggard, Wisconsin Senator. She came and walked the line with the members, and that, that's huge. I think that really 
put some reality into our members too about how important this was. What are you looking for in the way of support from other unions and community members? How many years have unions been fighting for 40-hour weeks? Still today, we're still fighting for 40-hour weeks. We're looking for support of family time. All the members there at Tracti, they want to go back to work. This has never been about money. This is really about the life-work balance. They just want some time with their family. And if community members did want to show support for your struggle, what should they do? And is there anywhere they can go to get more information? We do have our Facebook webpage, Smart Local 565. Uh, We have smartlocal565.org on our website. You could also reach out to Scuffle. Scuffle has been out there helping us a lot. There's a strike fund out there that people could donate to if they wanted to. We've been asking for things such as like water and snacks for the strikers on the line. That's all we've been asking for. If people know, have contact with Trakti, let them know that there should be a life-work balance and, and that they should think about this. Any final comments? What I can say is that after multiple, multiple efforts of reaching out to the company to sit down and negotiate this, they have finally confirmed the date with us and we will be meeting next week. I hope everybody on the line stands strong. I hope the community stands behind us on this. Thank you. That was Jesse Buell, business manager for Smart Local 565. I'm Ellen Lelizern for Labor Radio. Here is Labor Radio's Frank Emsbach with an important correction to last week's story. A correction. Last week, Labor Radio reported that the Oregon-Wisconsin-based Tracti Systems was failing to negotiate with its unionized workforce of its Sun Prairie production facilities. Labor Radio was in error. The Tracti LLC business in Oregon is a completely different entity than the Tracti company in Sun Prairie. Tracti in Oregon is not on strike. We apologize for any confusion. I'm Frank Emsbach for Madison Labor Radio. MTI is again challenging the Madison School District over teaching contracts and pay rates. Here's Labor Radio's Ellen Lalazern with the details. In Wisconsin, teachers re-up their commitment to teach by signing a contract to let the district know their plans. Madison Teachers Incorporated, or MTI, is again challenging the Madison Metropolitan School District, or MMSD's, failure to provide contracts that recognize length of service and educational credits. The union's also challenging MMSD's budgetary priorities. Michelle Ritt, MTI member and bilingual special education teacher, discusses those issues with me and more. Michelle, can you explain the whole issue about the annual contracts? Last year, we were issued contracts as normal in the spring, and we had several weeks to return them or not based on what our plans were. We noticed quickly that the salary did not reflect what we were supposed to be making as far as step and lane increases go. We immediately reached out to MMSD for a response, and their explanation was that we would not be earning less than we did the year before, but they would not provide accurate information about our salaries. And the same thing happened again this year. What reasoning does the district give for doing this? MTI is very upset that we are not given direct, honest information about how much we'll be paid for the contract that we're signing. You mean that's unfair, it's disrespectful. Part of the district's explanation is that they cannot promise salary money until the budget is approved, and the budget won't be approved until after the date where we are required to sign our contracts. 
So is that implying that they could possibly, for example, reduce the amounts in the educational lanes or the step amounts? That is exactly our fear that we are going to be forced to sign contracts in order to maintain employment without knowing what will get paid. But once we sign it, we're contracted to do the work, even though we don't know what will be paid. It feels so disrespectful, so disingenuous. Due to Act 10, salary talks are limited to discussing cost of living increases only. The MMSD has submitted a budget that looks like they're not even going to fund up to that amount. Is that correct? The maximum cost of living adjustment that we are allowed by law would be 4.7%. And what the district has offered us so far is 2%. The union is also looking for boosting pay for support staff. Can you explain that? One of the things that we're fighting for is a $5 an hour increase to our support staff, people like security assistants, special education assistants, colleague that I work with, she's been a devoted MMSD employee for over five years, and she makes less than $17 an hour. An MTI member reported today that she saw on a drive through town that Culver's is having starting pay for adults between $18 and $19 an hour, and you would have to work almost 15 years with the district before you earned as much money as you could working at Culver's. Is the union asking for people in the community to provide any kind of support? The union is trying to make sure the community understands exactly what's happening in our schools and with our children and hoping to have the community support because when you have good working environments, that leads directly to the good positive environment for all the kids that we serve. Thank you very much. That was Michelle Ritt, MTI member and bilingual special education teacher with the Madison Metropolitan School District. I'm Ellen Lelizer for Labor Radio. As negotiations continue at CUNA, the union will up the ante. Negotiations between OPIU Local 39, representing employees at CUNA Mutual, and the company continued this past week. They are about to enter their fourth month. Labor Radio spoke with Joe Vicka, chief steward of the CUNA unit and member of the bargaining team. We asked him to describe the state of negotiations during this past week. During this past week, we've been waiting on the company to respond back to us after having a number of different sidebar discussions about job security and we're still we're still waiting on them to respond so there hasn't been much progress this past week what if any specific contractual language has the company proposed that addresses any of the union's concerns over the last month or so there hasn't been anything that has been put into writing by the company, which addresses our concerns. We're happy with the discussions that we've had in regard to job security, but until we actually see those things in writing, we continue to organize our membership to make sure that we 
end up with a contract that we really deserve, uh, given CUNA Mutual's record profits. Just to recap one more for our time for our listeners, what are those key issues? Yeah, our key issues have to do with job security, so protections from outsourcing and contracting, uh, remote work flexibility for our membership, uh, the protection of our HMO healthcare plan, as well as the protection of our pension plan, which they're proposing to freeze for new hires. And lastly, making sure that we receive wage adjustments that keep up with uh, the rate of inflation, as well as proposals which are meant to help end many of the pay inequities that we see across lines of seniority, uh, gender, and race at our company. What is the union planning to do to raise the pressure on the company? In the last few weeks, our members voted 87% in order to begin hosting informational pickets outside of our company's headquarters. And tomorrow on Saturday, uh, May 21st, we are planning to picket from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. And we encourage anyone in the Madison community to join us because we know that CUNA Mutual Group is a premier employer in the area, and what they do affects what other employers are willing to provide or not provide employees. So we're hoping for a strong show of support from both our members and the community uh, to show that a company like CUNA Mutual that makes record profits uh, really needs to put some of that money back into its employees. Thanks to Joe Vika, Chief Steward, OPIU Local 39, for this update. I am Frank Emsbach from Madison Labor Radio. Workers for our area's Red Cross can't get management to the bargaining table. Labor Radio reporter Ellen LaLazerne has this discussion about the union's response to management's stalling techniques. Last week we reported that Red Cross management had only shown up for contract talks once to exchange proposals in February. Izzy Bielek, organizer with the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, or AFSCME, Council 32, and Red Cross worker Eric Crocker are checking in with me about what's happening at Red Cross. Izzy, can you give me an update from last week? We haven't heard anything from the Red Cross yet. We are still working with our team to just kind of organize our workers and make sure that they understand what's going on with the lack of negotiations. And then they're talking to their coworkers and also the public about these issues and collecting signatures on their petition. Are you considering another unfair labor practice charge at all? Yeah, we're definitely considering it. I think it's something where we would prefer if we could all meet together on good faith. But if that can't happen, then obviously we will have to refile a charge. AFSCME Council 32 had filed an unfair labor practice charge a while back requesting meeting, and they did eventually meet. So the charges were dropped, but apparently they really haven't cooperated since then. So can you give a brief recap of what the major issues are that you're fighting for? The main issues that the workers experience day to day is severe understaffing or scheduling as if they have a full staff every single day. This is partially caused by them also being very underpaid, not receiving fair wage increases over the last couple of years. Also, so that we do have a family life. We don't really have one working here. Those are probably the major three that we're fighting for. Family life, insurance, and our wages. What are you hearing from the workers on site? We don't know where the Red Cross itself stands with any of this. So it's hard for our workers to take a hard stance when we can't talk to them to get an answer. 
he's kind of got, I mean, the nail right on the head with it. We can't talk to them because if we don't have an answer even to someone give them, it's, well, we don't know yet. And it's kind of hard to come up with an exact wording to give them except other than I don't know yet because we don't know anything yet because we haven't met with the Red Cross to come up with something to tell them. How is overscheduling impacting things? The way that they've been doing the scheduling is everybody's getting burnt out. For instance, today I was at a drive that was a six-hour drive, and there was only four of us. We come to work, we go home, sleep, get a bite to eat, come right back to work. There's no, how do I call it, downtime. And how long have you worked at the Red Cross, and are you seeing all of this as being worse than you've ever seen it before? I've been here roughly about four years, and this is the worst I've ever seen it, yes. Do you have any messages for our listeners about your plans to try to get management back to the table? As of right now, we have a petition out for everybody to be signed so that we can push it towards the Red Cross. And look, we have backing from people. We need to sit down. We need to get this situated. The petition is on change.org. It is demanding that the American Red Cross meet with our bargaining group in the Badger-Hawkeye region, which is the Wisconsin-Iowa region of Red Crosses. We are demanding that they meet with us as soon as they possibly can. And what we're asking for is the public to sign the petition in solidarity with the workers. And if the petition doesn't work, I don't know what else is going to come entail, but there might be other repercussions down line that might hurt them more, especially in the Badger-Hawkeye area for the Red Cross, because we are so supply the most for them. Do you have any final comments or anything else you think our listeners should know? Sign that petition that's out there. It's on Facebook. Back us. Please support us. And how about you, Izzy? Do you have any other comments? We just really need the community to come together for these workers because it benefits everyone. All of the Red Cross workers really care about the work they do and they want to do it to the best of their ability. And they can't do that if they don't get these changes. And the only way they're going to get that is if the Red Cross will meet with them and listen to their workers. Thank you. That was Izzy Bielek, AFSCME Council 32 organizer and Red Cross worker Eric Crocker. I'm Ellen LaLazern for Labor Radio. Almost a 1,000 members of UAW Local 180 working at Case, New Holland in Racine went on strike Monday, May 2nd. As of broadcast, excuse me, as of broadcast time, negotiations were in progress, but no information on results was available. Last week, Case New Holland had not offered to enter negotiations and was in the process of canceling the striker's health insurance. As UAW Local 180 President Yasin Mahdi noted, key issues including mandatory overtime as well as wages. In this regard, the union faces significant challenges. Workers at Case non-union plants make an average of $5.50 an hour more than the average union worker at the unionized plants. There is also a two-tier wage structure, meaning that people meaning people doing essentially the same job are paid different rates depending on when they were hired. Union demands include wage parity and an end to the tier system, as well as significant improvements in the vacation scheduling and the amount of vacation time employees have. Labor Radio will keep you informed as developments occur. Starbuck workers in Plover rallied this Sunday to call for the reinstatement of a barista who was fired by the company. We'll hear more about the circumstances surrounding the company's retaliation. From the beginning of the campaign to unionize a Starbucks cafe in Plover, Wisconsin that started this February, Colton Gosnell, a barista and worker leader with Starbucks Workers United, 
had been one of the union's most vocal supporters and fervent internal organizers. Earlier this month, and only days after the 7-5 to vote in favor of unionization became public, Gosnell was pulled aside in the middle of his shift and informed that he was being terminated by the store's management. Quote, I 100% believe it was related to my union organizing. The rules were applied unevenly on one person, Gosnell told Wisconsin Public Radio. He also explained that he had never been written up or even been given a verbal warning for the behavior before the company let him go. This Sunday, standing in front of the cafe's facade, almost two dozen workers and supporters expressed their anger at the behavior of the company in relation to Gosnell's firing. What's disgusting? Union busted! What's disgusting? Union busted! Layla Dalton, a former Starbucks employee at a cafe in Arizona, traveled to Plover to talk to the rally's attendees about how her own termination inspired her to support other affected workers. Now I'm here fighting for reinstatement for Colton, for every single partner that is not just getting fired, but getting retaliated, abused, harassed. Firing has become a favorite tool of Starbucks's leadership to intimidate and suppress union support, especially since founder and current CEO Howard Schultz took over control of the company from former executive Kevin Johnson in February. According to reporting by The Guardian, the company has terminated the employment of over 20 union leaders in recent months. The National Labor Relations Board has started to seek injunctive relief for fired workers, starting last week with a set of seven baristas in Memphis, who are also vocal union supporters. Along with the Memphis workers, the board is demanding reinstatement and back pay for three fired workers in Overland, Kansas, six fired workers in Buffalo, New York, and three fired workers from various locations in Arizona. If the board's complaints are not settled by the company directly, the issue will be brought before an administrative law judge for adjudication. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Sean Agarup. What is long COVID and how will it be seen under disability law? Labor Radio's Carol Weidel shares the info. COVID is a longer term problem for some people originally diagnosed with COVID-19. Many people get better within weeks, but others experience symptoms for months. This condition is known as long COVID. A major new study released this week looked at a database of more than 78,000 patients diagnosed with the medical diagnostic code for long COVID during the four-month period ending January of this year. This study found that 76% of long COVID patients were not sick enough with the initial infection to require hospitalization. This study did not include people covered by Medicare or Medicaid. The research was conducted by Fair Health, a nonprofit organization that focused on health care costs and insurance issues. Some people can take medical leave and others cannot work and have no paid leave. When symptoms persist, those affected might need to change careers. Working as a chef is not possible without a sense of smell. Software developers who cannot remember codes also need to consider a career change. One estimate put the number of affected people at 7 million or more. Last year, the Office of Civil Rights provided guidance that explains that long-term COVID can be a disability under the Americans with Disabilities Act, or ADA. Some common symptoms of long COVID include tiredness or fatigue, difficulty thinking or concentrating, also known as brain fog, shortness of breath, headaches, and loss of taste or smell. Long COVID can be a disability under the ADA if it substantially limits one or more major life activities. 
Because long COVID is not necessarily a disability under the ADA, an individualized assessment is necessary to determine if the condition limits a major life activity. For people whose long COVID qualifies as a disability, they are entitled to the same protections from discrimination as any other person with a disability under the ADA Section 504 and Section 1557. Put simply, they are entitled to full and equal opportunities to participate and enjoy all aspects of civic and commercial life. This is Carol Weidel, reporting for Labor Radio. And now for some announcements. It's time to get on the bus. Here's Labor Radio's Keith Steffen with information on the Wisconsin Poor People's Campaign free bus to D.C. The Poor People's Campaign is organizing a demonstration in Washington, D.C. on Saturday, June 18th. The campaign's goals are to, one, build power, two, shift the political narrative, and three, make policies to fully address poverty and low wealth from the bottom up. They are holding an online event on Sunday, May 22nd from 3 to 4 p.m. where you can sign up for a free bus ticket from the Madison or Milwaukee areas to the June 18th Mass Poor People's and Low-Wage Workers Assembly and Moral March on Washington and to the polls. Buses will leave on Friday, June 17th and return on Sunday, June 19th. COVID protocols will be in place and adherence is required for all bus riders. Please plan to bring a mask and proof of full vaccination. For more information, see the Facebook page at Wisconsin Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, or the website poorpeoplescampaign.org. On Saturday, May 21st, join OPEIU Local 39 in an informational picket in front of CUNA Mutual from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. CUNA Mutual is located at 5910 Mineral Point Road. All are invited. Come on out. The Madison summer concert season is on, and kicking it off is our own Wartstock Outdoor Music and Picnic event this Sunday, May 22nd, from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. at Warner Park. We'll have live music with a diverse lineup of local and regional musicians, food and craft vendors, including beverages from the Madison Home Brewers and Tasters Guild, and all are invited, young and old, to the art exploration area hosted by 608 Arts, our vibrant community and Northside Arts Collective. You can now hear our show anytime. Just subscribe to the Labor Radio podcast. Here's Labor Radio's Janine Ramsey with the details. Are you a worker? Then we have news for you. Labor Radio is a news program by, for, and about working people. As we enter our third decade on the WART airwaves, we're excited to bring you a new way to listen via a podcast. The Labor Radio podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Rate and subscribe to bring more working people's issues to the digital airwaves. That's the Labor Radio podcast available from your community radio station, WORT 89.9 FM Madison. Thanks 
for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Sandy. Thanks to editors Frank Emspack and Ellen Lanzlern, assistant Robin G., reporters Mike Bernhardt, that handsome young guy next to me, Greg Jaboski, Sean Hagerup, Anna Hom, Scott McCullough, Janet Ramsey, Tony Reeves, Carol Weidel, and damage control specialist Joanne Powers. Thank you as well to website editor J.J. Meyer. Special thanks to Keith Steffen, our reader coordinator, and to all our readers and the members of IBEW Local 2304 WORT Staff Collective. And I'm Mike Bernhard, the handsome guy next to her. We also like to thank all of our generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned for Dave, or yeah, the Blues Cruise with Dave Watts.